everyone, and welcome back to No Fate, the Terminator podcast, where we cover any and all things Terminator. I'm your host, Michael John Petty. With me is Tanner Radwick. Tanner, we're back in it after the two-parter. Today is the day. We are back to discuss the, uh, not quite the penultimate episode, but the penultimate to the penultimate episode of the Sarah mm. Connor Chronicles. Mm-hmm. We're almost there. Um, this is a good one. I mean, the, these of these last five episodes, they're all really good. I mean, none of them is bad. It's a solid bunch of episodes. It's a, a very high note to end on for the show. Uh, but this one's tough. This one's tough to watch at times. Um, there's there's moments where it's it's just hard. Um, but before we get into it, we have uh, we have some fan mail and Tanner. We we've talked about this uh, this one beforehand. But uh, this fan mail is not so much a fan mail, but an ex-fan mail. And I almost made not reading it on air. I really did. But I, but I want to address the complaint. And that's, that's why I want to talk about it. It comes from a listener who I will not name. will remain nameless. He says, How have you guys not only not read the SM Sterling books, but call yourselves experts in the franchise while having not having read them? And one of you hasn't even heard of them, this podcast, and you guys totally lost all integrity in my eyes. I've already been annoyed at your crappy attitudes towards Dark Fate when there is so much worse in Genesis and the Sarah Connor Chronicles, but this seals the deal for me. You guys are total jokes, epic fail. That trilogy of books are so damn essential to any old-school Terminator nerd and are the only true sequels to T2 that even remotely hold a candle to their predecessor. Y'all suck. Ouch. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, uh, no, you go ahead first. You, you, you go first. Me first? Yeah, you okay. first. You started. Well, yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I hadn't heard of the books. Um you definitely heard of them, I guess. Uh, yep. You know, we're we're getting to them. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, you and I have talked about. We I don't think we've ever necessarily called ourselves experts for sure. I think we we're pretty consistent that we just have we're doing this for fun, you know. Um, so that's okay. I, any I'm I'm uh, you know, it'd be sad to to lose a listener, but uh, if we're losing a listener, that is. Um, but uh, there's also a lot of space for more Terminator podcasts out there, too. So, you know, I would almost encourage this listener to maybe also start consider starting a podcast on Terminator and see how, how it goes. That's kind of the cool thing about the medium is anyone can do it now, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's totally fair. And I think the term expert is relative you know an expert means that somebody is is proficient in something that they understand the in, inner workings and ins and outs of the subject that they're an expert in as far as the terminator movies go you know i'd say we do qualify we we think about these things all the time we know a lot of the behind the scenes trivia we don't know everything but nobody does um, there's sure to be things that even the biggest fan and i'm not even saying that that means us doesn't know and sure part of the joy of doing this podcast is learning so much about the franchise that we didn't already know and then analyzing the stuff that we do know very well um mm-hmm. you know not everybody could do a terminator podcast and that's okay not you know I, there's plenty of podcasts i couldn't do i couldn't do a harry potter podcast and i've seen yeah. all the movies and read most of the books you know i i couldn't i there's a lot of them that i couldn't do and that's okay um, as far as the books go, you know, we haven't read every Terminator book out there. And quite frankly, I'm sure this fan has any either. Um, I have heard of the SM Sterling books. I've, I've heard a lot about them actually. And I've actually heard some, some controversial takes on them too. So, you know, I, I think ultimately this, this letter boils down to the fact that we can have different opinions as fans. You know, sure. James Cameron, uh, the guy behind the first two and the best two Terminator movies, and one of the greatest, the greatest, I should say, action movie of all time, he was a producer on Dark Fate. 
And before that, he thought Terminator Genesis was a great third film in in his mind. That would be the trilogy. Mm-hmm. You know, is that opinion an opinion that most Terminator fans share? No, it's not. And this is the yeah. guy who invented the thing. So, you know, everybody's going to have their own opinions. Everybody's going to have their own thoughts. Christopher Tolkien, who was J.R.R. Tolkien's son, who ran his estate for a very long time, curated a lot of his father's work, is the reason we have things like the Silmarillion and Unfinished Tales and, and all that to begin with. He called Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movies abominations that don't actually really get to the root of what his father's work was about and is there maybe some truth to that in a sense sure but does that should that discourage people from loving those movies no absolutely not they're great they're great movies they might not be excellent adaptations every time at every point but they're great (laughs) movies and and i think you know we have specific opinions about dark fate personally tanner doesn't like genesis more than dark fate more than doesn't like Dark Fate. I go back and forth. And as far as the Sarah Connor Chronicles, y- you think it's worse, and that's fine, but we've spent most of this podcast talking about it. We love it. Why are you still listening? <laughs> you know, I it, there, there's choices in that too. And so, you know, everybody likes different things. And when it comes to franchises, everybody likes different things too. Not everyone likes the Star Wars prequels. We love them. Not everyone likes the Star Wars sequels either. We don't. But other people love them. So, yeah. you know, it's it's all subjective. You know, and that's that's the great thing about art. There is, of course, a standard of how a thing is made that makes it good or not. But what makes it good or not as far as your enjoyment of a thing can vary. And I don't think either of us have said that Dark Fate is a bad movie. I don't think either of us have even said that Genesis is a bad movie. It's a Marvel movie, but it's not a bad movie in and of itself. (laughs) They're just movies we don't like as far as the greater Terminator canon is concerned. And, uh, yeah, it just just boils down to personal opinion. So, sir, we're not... We wouldn't call ourselves experts. People have called us experts. We wouldn't necessarily agree or disagree. But the truth is, is that we're doing the show because we love the Terminator franchise. And I think you do too. And I think that's why you're so passionate about it. And if that's the case, um, we hope that you'll continue listening and continue sending us your opinions. And we'd love to talk about them more on the show if you have other thoughts. But um, all things considered, you know, everyone's going to have different thoughts on the franchise going forward. There's some things about the the franchise I didn't even know before this podcast. Things that fans of the original 1984 film would have known at the time. Um, and of course, and there's I, new new fans. You know, Terminator is is getting new fans as time goes on, and not everybody is at the same it, knowledge level, and that's okay. I think it might be important to remember too that part of our goal for this podcast, I think, was to introduce. Um, Terminator fans to the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yeah. Because a lot of Terminator Terminator fans, you know, never really gave that a fair shot or just never saw it all together. Um, so I think it, a big focus is kind of like learning some new Terminator media together. Yes. You know, we've seen it. We've seen it, of course, but you and I are noticing things we never saw before as we explore it together and learn new things. Um, and I think that's eventually going to extend to the books as well. Yes. And, um, and video games and comic books. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we get to discover as fans together, um, uh, or revisit and discover new things. So, um, that's part of the fun. Totally. So thank you for your thoughts, you know. We, uh, we certainly don't issue, wish you any ill will, and, and we hope you continue to listen. Certainly. All right, guys. That said, we're going to jump into our episode for today, which is To the Lighthouse. Sarah and John hit the road without Cameron and Derek to stay with Charlie Dixon, where she reveals to Charlie... Charlie, that her cancer may have emerged. 
Meanwhile, a computer worm infects John Henry. Uh, this episode's great. It got a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb, which I personally think is a little low. Um, maybe not super low, but a little low. Um, what were your initial thoughts on this episode, Tanner? Where do you stand with it? I liked it a lot. <laughs> In short, I would. I think I would give it a higher 7 um, myself. I think it does a nice job of rounding out some things as we kind of move into the later part of this season. Um, there's like a couple things I wish that we could have had a little more of that we can talk about, but for the most part, I think this one is pretty well-rounded. Yeah. And kind of touches on finishing up a couple storylines while also opening the door for some others, which is what a good episode should do, right? Sure. Yeah, I really liked... Uh, obviously, seeing Charlie come back is great. You know, we, we love, yes. we love some mayhem and, uh, and Charlie's just such a good character and and he's just such a good guy all around. I mean, what a stand up guy. It was so sad when he left earlier this season and his wife passed away and, and that whole, oh, it's just heartbreaking. And to see him now having been so far removed from that and, and really not that far when you think about how many episodes in between it is, in between it is, but it's probably mm. about a year, give or take, mm-hmm. in in showtime, mm-hmm. and so it's uh it's that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing to go through, and and he's done very well. And despite the fact that he does blame Sarah a little bit, he handles her showing up unannounced very well, <laughs> like a champ, as he always does. Um, yes. And it just, it just the moments he has with John, these father-son bonding moments, these things that John never got to have with Kyle, that he's sort of got to have occasionally with Derek, but that he's only really ever had with Charlie. It's just, it's, yeah, it's so touching, and it's, it reminds us of all the things that John missed out on, and I'm sure it mis- reminds him of the same. And to Charlie, John really is his son in a lot of ways, and of course he would give his life to save him. It's hard seeing them come through the door and having this, you know, he and Sarah have this, these mixed feelings with each other and he, he's very resentful of Sarah, but you can tell Sarah's very longing towards the life that she could have had with him also. Yeah. But she knows that she has to be reserved and also give him his space at the same time because she doesn't blame him also for feeling the way that he does about her. Cause she's objectively been pretty mean to him and just like, <laughs> right. For one leaving, leaving after his proposal, right. She has a bunch of guilt about that. And then also guilt about what happened with his wife and everything else. And, mm-hmm. and then you have John who's, you know, essentially the child in kind of like a divorce in a way is what it feels like right. where, they both love John and they're both there to support John, but, um, they have their own tensions, um, as well, kind of in an, in an extreme version, of course, but, um, one of the moments when John and Charlie were working on the boat motor together, I really wish we could have had a commentary from Sarah in a way because it kind of felt mm. like the T2 moment mm-hmm. when she's overwatching John and, and yes. Uncle Bob Terminator work on the truck, right? And in that moment, we did get a Sarah narration of talking about the would-be fathers, right? Yeah. And how this machine was the best would-be father up until that point. And, ha- and seeing Sarah look at Charlie and John working on this boat motor, I can't help but think if she's having that same thought process in that moment of reminiscing about the would-be fathers and just like i think she you know she is accepting and knows that charlie is the best would-be father for john which makes it even more of a tragic episode right because she's kind of there in a way to in my mind it almost seems like she's trying to like know who is going to be able to take up that role for john should she pass away from this cancer right 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 which is kind of a, a short-lived plan, unfortunately. 
Yeah, for a couple of reasons, right? First of all, we find out that Sarah doesn't have cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's actually a homing, a homing beacon planted in her by the man who abducted her, who, as it turns out, seems to be working for a rival AI. Ooh, bum 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 bum, which we can only assume is Skynet, um, unless John Henry is Skynet. Or is it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's Legion. Ooh. Ooh. Too soon. We don't talk about that. <laughs> but, uh... It's an in- it, that's an interesting twist. And when I was watching the episode this time around, um, all I kept thinking was, how have they not caught up to Sarah sooner? Why is it right mm-hmm. now that they're striking? Sure. Yeah, and I'm sure that there's yeah. a reason for, it. and I think part of it probably has to do with the fact that they couldn't get the go ahead until they had the information on how to disable Cameron, which they got, of course, from John Henry at the beginning of the episode mm. when he was infiltrated by the worm and all of that. And um, yeah, I'm sure that that's part of it. But at the same time, it seems like Sarah, at least still would have been an easy target since they've already captured her before. Um, yeah, it's a very interesting idea. Seemingly seemingly been a few times where she's been away from Cameron where they wouldn't have to worry about Cameron. Right, but... unless Cameron is the objective, right? Which, if that's the case, sure. then why attack Sarah and John at all? Unless Skynet yeah. knows something about John. Sure, because they played it off to be kind of a coordinated attack, right? Right. They kind of hit everybody all at once. Um, so is there a bigger bigger plan to that that we haven't seen on screen here, or is it mostly a plot convenience, you know? Right, and I think this episode kind of leaves it vague because the next few episodes are supposed to kind of answer that question, and I think even into the next season it's supposed to answer that question. But right. we're not quite there yet, and so right now it just kind of feels weird. Um, one of the things that I couldn't help but thinking, too, going back to our conversation about Charlie and Sarah, is that for for Charlie, when Sarah left, it wasn't like an instantaneous thing. There's still eight years there in between when they skipped over to... Mm-hmm. Or more, actually, when they skip over from the 90s mm-hmm. to 2007. And yeah. because of that, because of all of that extra added time, he's been able to process and grieve and move on and get married and fall in love. And then, of course, at the beginning of season one, you know, Sarah comes back. You know, she shows up again. And all of those emotions, it's just confusing. And it's especially confusing because of his wife. And then his wife dies and Sarah's still around. And I, I just couldn't imagine the emotional roller coaster that Charlie would be going through. And I think in a lot of ways it's, he's the only character in this franchise who's really experienced that in that way. Um, you know, and of course Sarah's had her life turned around and all these other characters, John included, have have been through their own emotional stuff in the various movies and shows and stuff. But nobody has had people in his life at one point of time and then them blown into another part of time where yeah. he's built a completely new life for himself and then had to go through all of that again, um, only to die as a result. That's mm-hmm. that's very unique thing to this character, and I think that's a really cool addition that this show did. Still sucks that he died. I'm still not happy about that, especially given the next like two episodes. But yeah, but we'll get to that. It is tragic, and seeing them have their their heartfelt conversation in the kitchen was something that was really needed in this episode. I think it gives it a little bit of closure, yeah. you know, as they know that this character is going away. And, um, you know, I guess when we see Charlie in the water, too, it's it's tragic and it's hard. And I'm both impressed at how Sarah doesn't, like, fall apart in that moment, seeing him in the water. What, But I'm also 
disappointed that we didn't get to see some of her humanity come out in that moment also. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm torn on that because, like, for Sarah Connor, of course, I can see I can see both of those things happening. Sure. And, you know, part of me wants to see her also break. I want to kind of see her break down a little because I think that would have been pretty powerful in that moment. Mm-hmm. Especially after she looks at the dock and you can tell that she's, like, comforted knowing that the boat is gone and they got away. And then you see her face kind of drop when she looks to the side. But she stays pretty strong in this moment. And there's not even anyone around for her to stay strong for. I you think know, John that's isn't part, I think that's part of why that scene works, though. Is she has this moment of peace, of levity, when she realizes that they've gone, gone away. That they're clear and that the bad guys are dead and, and they're fine. And then all of a sudden she does look down and see Charlie's corpse. And mm-hmm. I think... She just can't even process it because it's just such a whirlwind of relief to grief that she hasn't fully gotten there yet. And instead of allowing herself to be overcome, she has to shut herself back down because for a moment she felt this relief and it was it was grateful and allowed herself to experience that. But then Mm -hmm. the moment the negative comes back in, she's like, "I, I cannot I cannot succumb to that. Not right now, because John is still there is no rest. Yeah. No rest ever is no. her, you know, you cannot <laughs> be in that. You sleep when you're dead. Of, exactly. Which also ties into the theme of the opening, talking about the uh, the, the, the legend, right, in the jungle. Um, via El Viejo del Monte, right? Mm-hmm. Which is great. I don't know if you watched the, did you watch the deleted scene for this? No. So what's interesting is it shows that same jungle part when they're walking through the jungle and John's a young boy. But instead of Sarah narrating it, it's John narrating it. Oh. And it, and it's almost the same exact explanation of that legend about the merciless hunter who wasted, you know, the animals that he killed and the gods punished him by making him defend the jungle uh-huh. for all eternity, right? Which we have similarities of John's mission and Sarah's mission and everything else. But the part that they change in the beginning of this, when Sarah is narrating it, she says that it was John's favorite story that she used to tell him. And in John's thing, (laughs) John's narration in the deleted scene, he says, my mother thought it was my favorite story, but it was actually hers, which I thought was great. That's very telling. Yeah, I like that. So she's trying to she's trying to project this onto her son because she sees the similarities and John probably resents it, right? Because he sees the similarities and he sure. doesn't want that because he does he does feel cursed and he feels punished by having this burden on him. That's fascinating. Um, oh, I loved it. Yeah, it was great. And it's it's kind of a shame that like how do you how do you tell this episode from both those perspectives in a narration of a flashback? You know, it's, it's tricky. So you almost have to just watch the deleted scene and kind of accept it as part of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I suppose you could have had her but narrated at the beginning. And then when they go back to the flashback where Sarah looks for John and John wins the quote unquote game, you could have him narrate it mm-hmm. then, but you could, that's very yeah, interesting. I like that. That's really cool. Well, and there's a great moment that's not in the episode where they show John and Charlie. They kind of flash forward, and John and Charlie are walking up the stairs out of that dock, and there's a sunset. And John and Charlie turn around to look at the sunset briefly, but the narration is talking about in that moment how there is no rest, you know, mm-hmm. forever kind of deal. So, like, and then John, you know, he kind of he has to turn around and keep going. He can't, he can't stop to enjoy the sunset because yeah. of who he is. You know, so I thought it was a really good deleted scene. It's kind of sad that they they didn't keep it. Yeah, it's really strange, honestly, that they didn't keep it given the context of the last episode. Because in today's the day part two, John accepts fully who he is. I mean, it's it's mm. the moment where he he leans into his destiny and he says, "You know, I, I am John Connor. That's the problem." And you would think that that would lend itself very nicely to an episode like this, where in a 
in a symbolic way, this is the end of everything that held John's life together before. He's lost Riley now. Now he's lost Charlie. The the person that John wanted to be in John Bomb or whatever made up last name they were using does not anymore exist. And now he has mm-hmm. to be John Connor. So I almost wish they had kept that back in. In fact, I do wish they had kept that in because I feel like thematically it just makes more sense for his arc. Yeah. No, it makes sense. The beginning is really scary when Savannah's playing with John Henry and all of a sudden he glitches out. It's so scary. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like it. That guy's a great actor because... (laughs) Oh, Oh, it's so frightening. And, you know, of course, when Weaver and Ellison and Savannah come back in, my wife pointed this out. She's like, of course she runs to Ellison and not the machine mm-hmm. because she's not her mm-hmm. mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, yeah Ellison, it's really sad. Yeah. 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 It, it's done really well. You, you let your guard down because it starts so innocent. He's trying to figure out how he can work his imagination with this little girl. Right. Right. And everything switches, and you kind of remember all at once what this thing actually is. Yep. And who knows what would have happened had you know they not shut off the the whole system too. Right. That's the he scary part. He's going. He's going. Yeah. Could have killed her. And we see him going for the. Uh, uh, is it technically the Turk that's in there? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh. Oh yeah, it's so scary. It's it kind of reminds me of like Frankenstein's monster. We we just watched yeah. the original Frankenstein, the nineteen thirty one, maybe it's nineteen thirty two movie with Boris Karloff, with, with, with the little girl at the pond. Yeah, exactly. Where he like wants to play with this little girl, but in so doing, kills her because he doesn't fully understand a what death is and b how strong he is. Like he doesn't understand his mm-hmm. own strength and and c he's a monster. You know, he shouldn't exist mm-hmm. in the first place. So he can't interact with natural things the same way that we can. And it, it, it's it feels like it's taken right out from that part of the, of the original movie. And I'm, I'm sure that scene's in the book, too. I'm actually reading through the book currently, so I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating, that juxtaposition. And that is what John Henry is. He is Frankenstein's monster. And, mm. but he's Frankenstein's monster who seems to be made not to destroy, but to, to help or do something. And we'll get into that more once we get to the finale. But it's, uh, it's a very weird, it's, it's just weird. The, the whole thing is weird. And the fact that he has a brother who wants seemingly wants him dead is very suspicious in and of itself. It's just an odd scene. It's a great scene, but it's it's odd. Unsettling. I love I love that it leaves the door open and makes you question, okay, if the, if something else wants him dead, does John Henry become Skynet and the right. resistance wants him dead or is John Henry going to ultimately be a threat to Skynet in the future and Skynet is wanting him dead like it right and we don't know and that's the fun part but if we connect these guys to people like John or I'm sorry not not John if we connect these mercenaries to this other AI right then why would they want to kill John Connor and that's where you have to assume that Skynet is the other AI, right? If it's part of the same group. That's true. I suppose there could be a, another faction of the Resistance who doesn't like John Connor, which is possible. In uh, If they had kept Jesse alive, you'd almost wonder if... Uh, or not written her off the show, I should say, because you don't know if she's dead for sure or not. But you'd almost wonder if they mm. were working with her as a part of a a different resistance group come back to wipe out 
John in the event of her disappearance or death. Mm. That would be something interesting to explore. A sect of resistance that rejects John's um, destiny and John's fate. You know, you see that a little bit in Salvation, just in terms of like some of the resistance leaders questioning John's authority and all of that. Mm -hmm. But it would be interesting to see, um, you know, you would kind of have to play it with John more in power, like how we see him at the end of Salvation. And then if there was a group of resistance fighters who rejected that completely, and it would be extra tough because of the moral um, conflict that John would have to, you know, John knows how valuable human life is. And in this episode also, his mother Sarah tells him, you know, um, what does she say exactly? Humans are all that matter, something yes. to that effect. Humans something to that, that effect. Matters, yep. And we see that time and time again in this show, how important human life is to John and is to Sarah. So to explore... I think that would be really cool to explore the idea of, you know, a human faction who is a threat to John, but also he doesn't want to diminish human life any more than he has to because right, because they're not the is. enemy. Exactly. That would be, yeah, and maybe that's something they would have explored in season three. I definitely think it's possible, um, especially for those who would reject the idea that he's working with Terminators. Sure. Yeah. In the future. You would have a lot of people who just wouldn't be able to swallow that and wouldn't trust that. Um, and especially you see people in the future start to question who's actually in charge at all, if it even is John. So it would have been really cool to explore some of that more and find some human resistance to John, which would just add a, another whole layer to it. I agree. That would be really sweet. Who knows, maybe we'll get a video game or a, another comic book or maybe even an animated episode of that Terminator anime that kind of follows yeah. that idea. That would be really sweet. One thing I did want to run by you in this episode is we've talked a lot on our podcast about timelines and about where people are from and about um, mm. the fact that Derek and Jesse are not from the same timeline. And we know that because of what Derek does to Billy Wisher. And we know that mm -hmm. because Jesse doesn't know who Billy Wisher even is, um, or Andy Good, or whatever moniker he, or whatever fake name he gave. Um, in this episode, it seems like it implies that Cameron is from Jesse's future and not Derek's. Yes, because Cameron is referencing the time that she and Jesse spoke and she revealed to Jesse that uh that she had that miscarriage yeah in the future yeah and yeah i was thinking which about is that also. really weird because Cameron shows up on the timeline earlier than Derek does mm mhm mm yeah so, so technically she and Cromarty even is likely from that future mhm mm so was there what if was there another Cameron in Derek's timeline that came back before Derek? I don't know. Ooh. What if there's another Cameron out there? That would what if there's another Cameron guy. that's attacking John Henry? <gasps> Ooh. The world will never know. <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> but but right am i crazy or is that what that implies um no i think that implies that um but also timelines are i don't know you can you can you can start kind of getting loose loosey-goosey with it and you could argue that in both timelines jesse was pregnant and That's in true, both timelines could. at some point some point jesse talked to cameron in the future too so i don't know that's true. That is true. In both timelines, they are together. Right. The only difference is the absence of Andy Good. So. Mm, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's that's interesting. That's really interesting. 
either way, it's a bit of information that is hard for Derek to swallow. And it kind of seems weird to give this information to him so late in the game. I mean, I understand why she does. And she explains why she does. Um, Mm -hmm. But given what you and I know about the next two episodes, it just seems kind of odd to drop that. You know? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Is it... um... It was like, hey, this was a was something we made a point of for Jesse's arc. I feel like we have to play around with it more with uh, Derek since Jesse never fully got to tell Derek that as she like started to. <laughs> so I guess they probably wanted to like, hey, we Jesse had we showed Jesse grieve over this, and she never fully told Derek. So we should probably find a way to spill the beans here. Also, Derek and Cameron are going to be in some scenes together in this episode. So we may as well do it here. (laughs) That's my justification. Yeah. It it. felt more like convenience than well thought out either way. It's a, it's a tough thing I'm sure to hear. And I I couldn't imagine, couldn't imagine what Derek's even thinking. Well, especially right after he's already dealing with, you know, either the grief of killing her, right. Or the grief of just, knowing that she's yeah losing her ultimately because we don't know if she's dead or not right either way but it is interesting i thought it was kind of an interesting justification for cameron to bring that up in terms of losing a child right i thought that connection was interesting yeah because i didn't really think of that connection but it's interesting that cameron was able to thought process through what is it like to lose a child? And I want you to feel that so that you will be more mindful of what we have with John kind of thing. And we can't lose John. Yeah. Um, And I think it's a very machine like way to bring that up, obviously, which is of course the point Um, in Cameron's Mm -hmm. mind. She's not thinking about it emotionally, which is why Derek asks the question, like, why did you even think to bring this up right now? She's just thinking one-to-one these things are the same because a child has been lost. And Mm -hmm. if this person felt this way about their child being lost, then you need to understand how that feels to keep this person's child from being lost. It's just a very binary, very mechanical way of of looking at it. Um, It's it's like... uh, it's like looking at the math rather than the poetry, you know, it's, it's like, and, and that's how she's uh, dissecting that and deciding what she reveals when it's, it's, it's fascinating, but I think it's very true to her arc and true to her character and just what a machine would do in this scenario. I mean, John Henry's kind of the same way, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's written well for her and makes sense. One other thing I really liked about the whole John Henry getting switched off thing was the idea that for John Henry, for an AI, it feels like a long, painful death. And I think that's a really cool idea that I wish had the series gone on an X amount of years, another another X amount of years, um, that John would have been able to do by delivering, or maybe even Sarah in the past, you know, by delivering the final blow to Skynet and knowing that Skynet, Mm. when it dies... It, it, it mm. is this long, painful death that it made other people suffer. And I think that's a really mm. interesting way. I'm, I'm sure they were doing that as setup for later. I, I'm, I'm sure mm. of it. But it would have been mm. really cool. And, and now, if they ever do a Terminator story where we actually see John finish Skynet off and we actually see that happen, whether it's animated, live action, in real time, that's all I'll be thinking about is this idea that when Skynet dies, Skynet has to suffer the way it made other people suffer and then die. And it's it's fascinating. I, I would have never thought about that. I would have more thought about it like a slow descent into sleep. But it's, right. ter- it's terrifying for John Henry. And I think that's mm-hmm. really unique. I mean, that's a really cool way to to show its fear of being turned off. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's extra bad for John Henry. I guess if we contrast John Henry to, let's just say, 
another let's call it let's say the uncle bob terminator yeah because the uncle bob terminator was not plugged into the internet and everything in the entire world right yes in cyberspace but john henry was yes so i think having that unlimited amount of information at your fingertips is like is actually very godlike also for john henry Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm to just be like everywhere all at once in cyberspace. So I think that was part of the, what made it extra bad is what they were trying to say yeah. as he was powering off is being disconnected from that after being connected to that for so long and feeling that ultimate power of having access to everything, which is kind of interesting when you think about if you go to the Terminator three ending, that whole deal is that their Skynet had no central core that they could go to and blow up. Because it was in cyberspace, like right. John Henry. So from that standpoint, too, what does it look like to kill Skynet? There might be a central factory for Skynet, but at the same time, you blow that up. And if Skynet is still in the active satellites in the future that are around right. and everything else, how do, you, how do you ultimately get rid of Skynet? Well, I think in that sense what you would have to do right is you'd have to make sure that everything on earth is disconnected from those satellites and then start you just stranded it. yeah or send a send a counter virus to kill skynet which is what they you know in theory try to do in terminator 3 kind of well they try to use skynet to kill a virus that turns out to be skynet right. in the first place <laughs> yeah, I know. but but that is you're right that is the only way and I, I think about that in terms of like the genesis timeline too like genesis is skynet and genesis is this like ios this ai that thrives on social media and the internet and cyberspace and just yeah it is software just like in t3 and so how it's that do you... ai that you can you can talk to the ai now in snapchat that's what it is right exactly and <laughs> And it's everywhere. And so how do you get rid of that? Well, it's either a massive EMP that, you know, gets rid of everything on the planet, which I don't even know how that's possible. Or you have to send out a virus that kills it. And, yeah. I, you know, I think if they were to make another Terminator movie, of course, if it's set in the like, a timeline of the original films, you could get around this because the Internet doesn't exist in that future. But if, mm. if you were to redesign the future based on our present day, you know, that's how they would have to defeat Skynet. There is no Cheyenne Mountain Complex base that they can go to and, mm-hmm. and blow up. Um, you would have to, you'd have to use a virus of some kind, kind of like in, um, kind of like in Independence Day where they have to go into the central core to upload right. the virus and make sure it goes to everything from the source. I feel like that's what you'd have to do. You'd still have to break into the, the central core, but you'd have to use it as a conduit to send out a virus and wipe the thing out. Yeah, that's a good example. They'd have to send John up there, and he'd plug in a credit card with a wire to it, right. and he would say, go, go baby, go baby, go baby. <laughs> Blasting guns and roses. And then $300 would pop out of the uh, the machine. And he'd go, yes, easy money. <laughs> It'd be worthless, of course. There's no currency in the future, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting thought that you bring up, though, because by the events of Terminator 2 happening, right, that delay Judgment Day. Yeah. Did they make Skynet harder to defeat yes. with the invention of the internet? Yes. Because then it turns into into cyberspace stuff instead of there being a central core from that technology of the day. Yeah, had they actually done their due diligence in T2 and really destroyed ev- everything, Skynet right. and T3 wouldn't be able to exist. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can argue that in T2 they do actually destroy everything, and if that's where you want the movies to end, that's fair. But because we have so many sequels that prove otherwise at this point, you know, all of them, and probably including Legion 2, I'm assuming, is connected somehow to cyberspace, um, especially because it probably creates its own Judgment Day way later in the future. It just yeah, makes the AI's harder to kill. 
No wonder yeah. James Cameron is waiting a little bit to see how AI plays out to write the next Terminator movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's writing itself. It's writing his own movie as it plays out in real life. Yeah, no kidding. He's actually the, um... using ChatGBT to write the script for him. <laughs> and the ending is horrifying. Yeah. Well, according to what do we call our Terminator 3? Um, Arnold. Um, oh, Because um, T2 is Uncle Bob. So the T3 would be... There is a name. I gotta remember. <laughs> Ultimately, he says that Judgment Day is inevitable and Skynet will find a way to do it. And even Dark Fate, too, plays with that, right? Even if it's not Skynet the rise of machines led by AI is inevitable is the idea of the Terminator series. Um, but it's interesting to think about with the creation of the internet, with the creation of social media, the farther out judgment day gets pushed almost the worse that it can be. Right. Yeah. It, it gets worse on, on Skynet's capability and AI's capability. for being able to use more and more stuff that we have access to. Well, and to use the, the, the Frankenstein example again, or even Jurassic Park, you know, there, there comes a point where you have to wonder, it's like, did we, uh, did we go too far? And mm -hmm. I think Terminator is another one of those. That's just the perfect example of man is not God and we should hear our limits and heed to them. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, you know, now we're getting to philosophy <laughs> in real world application, which maybe is a little bit too real for some, but, uh, <laughs> but it's true. Um, and I think that's ultimately the message of, of the Terminator movies. I think there's a few messages, of course, no fate being one of them, but, but it's, it's real. It's, you know, we live in this world where AI is is now becoming, it, it, you know, it's replacing artists, it's replacing uh, writers, it's replacing, uh, trying to replace everybody, and our world's so much more automated now than it was in 1984. And so, had J James Cameron or someone like him created Terminator now, instead of way back then, mm. it would look, uh, it would look a little different. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. So, mm -hmm. I can't find the name for this T850. He apparently doesn't have one, but that isn't true because I remember I us talking. I swear about we've used one before, yeah. Because there's Carl and there's Uncle Bob, yeah, and there's. Uh, I know we've compared him to a Pops from uh, Genesis. Yeah, um, I know we've compared the T850 to like a drill sergeant in the past, but I don't remember a name. Yeah, and I can't find anything. So if you guys find something, let us know, because this is gonna drive us nuts. But overall, I really like Into the Lighthouse. It's it's a very it's good great. episode. It's heart wrenching. It's it's sad. It's it it feels very reminiscent of T two in some moments, like you said, with Sarah looking at the would be father that John had and Charlie, and it sets up these these last two episodes very very well by introducing this threat of this other AI and the soldiers mm. associated with it. It's it's a very good segue from everything that's come before, and I think it also ties really well back to Sarah's three dot arc actually um, particularly through the use of her getting kidnapped and you know that's how they have tracked her and learning that oh maybe these people she was trying to fight not only were they real which of course we know but they actually weren't working for Zero Corp they're actually not working for Weaver they're, they're something else entirely and that's that's scary um, mm -hmm. it might not make that full arc worth it, but it, it definitely connects to it very well and, and shows why the writer thought it was necessary. So I appreciated that.
Yeah, I like it. It's a good beginning to the end. Yes. Yes, it is. So, with that, unless you have any final thoughts, Tanner. Uh, That covers it for me. But let us know if we missed anything, as always. Yes, please. Thank you guys so much for bearing with us through another episode. We are almost done with the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and that is very bittersweet. I'm, I'm sad to be almost done with it, but I'm also really excited to be done with it so we can start talking kind of about what a third season could have looked like and start talking about what the behind the scenes of why it got canceled and all, just all of that. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to diving deep into all that stuff and, and having those conversations. Um, and then, of course, moving on. Moving on to video games and other series and books and comics and just all the other Terminator memorabilia and media that we have to cover. I mean, there's there's a lot out there. It's an endless supply, pretty much, of material. We just have to decide where we're going next, and right now we don't know. So um, if you have strong thoughts one way or another, let us know. Until then, you can find us on Twitter at NoFatePod, which is pretty much the only social media that we use consistently. We used to kind of venture around some Terminator Facebook groups and we've just been so busy. As you guys know, we, we have families and actually I just released a book um, that I've been working on for a very long time now and it's called The Beast of Beartooth Mountain. If you want to find it on Amazon, shameless plug. Um, it is not at all like Terminator, so do not expect that. It's very much a supernatural thriller, dark fantasy type story kind of kind of in that in that space that I, I really resonate and love outside of this universe. So check that out. We also are going to be featured on the Herd FM app that's coming out on iOS and Android um, at the end of this year. I haven't even told you this, Tanner. We got an email about it from the people behind the app, and they want our podcast on there. So we will be on there. Um, that's really exciting. So you can find us there. You can also find us on the Apple store. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on pretty much everywhere except Stitcher now because Stitcher went under. Um, that's about all I got. So until next time. If you're listening to this, (laughs) you are the resistance.